Hey there. Welcome to Twins Talk Clear-Cut Communication. Yes, we are twins. And yes, we are two old guys who should know better than to try to tackle the topic of communication in a podcast. But we're going to do it anyway, and hopefully you'll find it informative and maybe even enjoyable. Hey, we're coming to you from Bug Tussle, uh, Kentucky. And we give a shout out to our friends there in Bug Tussle, although we're not sure we have any, but we at least want to do that. Yeah, I don't know anyone. I don't. Yeah, but I'm assuming that uh, we'll get some listeners now from Bug Tussle. We're doing a different kind of program today, Bear. We have the chance to have a dear friend and an executive and a person we think of as a remarkable entrepreneur and starting a business. And we thought we would interview him rather than present a specific case and get a chance to talk with him because we view him as a particularly successful person and not only running a business, but managing it and managing the relationships that exist within it. So maybe you could kick us off and get us started and we'll just see how this uh, conversation unfold. Okay. Well, Steve, we're very glad to have you. Thanks for being willing to participate in this format. Bob and I both have always thought of you as someone who deals interpersonally in a professional setting with conflict very well, that you handle it with minimal angst and, and minimal elevation of mood and emotion. And so we just wanted you to speak to your view of conflict generally how you see it and uh, how you tend to approach it. Okay. You know, conflict is kind of a word that exists a lot, but I look at it as having many different levels. And my opinion is that vast majority of conflicts can easily be resolved one way or another. And I always tried to cut the growth of conflict of going from a low level to a high level, if that was at all possible. At the same time, when you first brought up the opportunity to talk about it this morning. So Steve, the- let me interrupt. So you see this as an opportunity? <laughs> <laughs> Yes, yes. Not not as a fearful proposition, but as an opportunity. Correct, correct. Well, you know, I always enjoy the end results. You know, when you see a situation that definitely isn't good and you can help turn it around, that makes you feel pretty good. And so often, I mean, it's not a Dr. Phil situation. It is resolving something, you know, without a lot of knowledge and effort. So you're talking about conflict as an opportunity. I was talking about being on this show. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Well, Stephen, also what I hear you saying is that your first step in conflict and in in trying to play a positive role is to make sure that you de-escalate the conflict at the outset. Yeah. you You don't allow it to rise to a level that's going to be almost unmanageable. Correct. And that's not always what happens, but it can happen. And it always, I think, is better. Yeah, I like the concept of de-escalating. You know, we've seen too many things on television where a situation just gets out of control. I mean, it starts out really manageable. And then all of a sudden, it's like somebody lit the fire. And that's not good. Yeah. Let me ask you, Steve, because it's a very interesting concept. It's almost as if you say, and I'm going to continue to put you in the role of entrepreneur. As an entrepreneur, you see lots of situations in which 
you have to make sure that there's a certain level of damage control. You simply don't want a kind of conversation or communication that escalates to the point that now we've got a lot of damage out there. So a part of building anything, a part of you starting your enterprises, a part of you designing what you did in terms of forming your company, you're thinking, as soon as I see it, I want to make sure that this doesn't escalate and we're going to get some damage control in place early. And oftentimes, my impression was that damage control was you bringing a person in and talking about it, that you were pretty upfront in the way you approach difficult situations. Is, is that right? Yeah, I think that that's a good analysis. And let me give you an example, and maybe you guys can talk about whether that fit. But did you watch the Ryder Cup golf tournament this weekend? And the United States won over the European group by the largest margin in history. And they talked a lot before the match that Brooks Kepka and Bryson DeChambeau hated each other and that the crowds would yell Brooksy, Brooksy at DeChambeau to try to, you know, irritate him and get him off of his golf game. And the captain of the United States team is Steve Stricker. And he chose both of them, but he told them ahead of time, this conflict is not going to exist at the Ryder Cup. And at the end of the match, Brooks and Bryson hugged each other, shook hands, complimented each other. And I don't know who will get the credit for that. Maybe Steve Stricker, maybe Bryson and Brooks. But this conflict on a sport that really, you know, if you're talking football or basketball, you kind of have an expectation that there's always player conflict, but not in golf. And it was just an amazing story to see two people that hadn't liked each other hugging each other after they beat the European team. So, you know, I don't know if that connects with what you were asking me because it has nothing to do with my business, but the concept, I think, you know, if I had within my organization a conflict and the end result after a certain period of time were a couple of people hugging each other, man, I would feel pretty good about that one. So, Steve, is that what you go for? If we went into your companies, we'd see a lot of people hugging each other? No, no. <laughs> <laughs> that was a goal, but uh, didn't always happen. Well, I do want you to know, know, Steve, that, that leads me to ask you the question. Historically, was there any natural theme that conflict tended to occur around? I mean, you've in your business history, you've had a lot of opportunities for conflict, or conflict to occur. Was there any source that tended to happen more often than others? Uh, I can't think of one right now. But typically, it was in a decision-making process that individuals or groups tended to have different alternatives. And the one, that selection process of which way are we going to go could lead to a conflict. Now, in previous conversation, I had heard you say that you thought most conflict occurred around ownership. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. So are you okay. backing up? Are you backing up on it, Steve? Or are you just saying, hey, Ray, you caught me off guard, and I don't like that question. 
<laughs> well, he did. But I guess we could both win that argument in that the decision making process that I referred to oftentimes came with peers and owners. I'll give you a quick example. When we started our business, I had a partner and I had not known him very long. We worked for the same college and I was in administration and he was in uh, part-time uh, faculty and outside consultant. And when I lost my job at the school, and I was looking for an employer, I just couldn't find one. And so in conversation with this other individual, he decided, let's start a business. And I guess that's where your definition of entrepreneur started is we, because he was a consultant for automotive companies, we started talking with them to see where a door might be open. Mm -hmm. And ironically, we started in a, a machining business. That was our first company of which neither one of us had any manufacturing background. <laughs> and, uh, That's great. Some people might describe that as throwing a dart on the wall and it hit manufacturing, but that's what happened. And everything went unbelievably good in that environment. You know, two non-manufacturing people working together and all of a sudden we got 25 workers doing jobs. Mm. And But what happened in a conflict was... We were 50-50 partners, and he wanted to start a second company in home construction, and I had no interest in that whatsoever. And as we discussed about the benefits of doing that, we came to two different conclusions, and it was either I was going to sell my stock to him or he was going to sell it to me. And it ended up that I ended up buying his stock so he would have the money to start his new business. And so that's a little tied into what I was referring earlier in the decision making process with a peer and co-owner that that is how that one developed. You know, it was unusual as to how we got it started, but it didn't last a long time. I would love to comment on your observation, uh, Steve, because, you know, the last couple episodes, Ray and I have been trying to apply two <clears throat> different models of conflict to different cases, to different experiences. And one of the things we saw unfold was this notion that conflict between peers, conflict between coworkers, conflict between people who are essentially on the same level seems the predominant form of conflict that people identify. So you've helped continue that perspective. And I think for people who are listening, that might be very valuable for them to think about because so often, at least in our consulting world, kinds of questions we get are much more about how, how do I deal with my supervisor? How do I deal with a subordinate? And not how do I manage my relationships with peers or coworkers? And yet what we're experiencing just in this podcast is that that coworker relationship could be a primary source of conflict. And you've made it even more pointed by saying conflict around decision-making. Now, we would refer to that in our model as simple conflict. There's an issue here. There's something to be decided. 
you want this, I want this, I can't get what I want without preventing you from getting what you want. We would refer to that in one model as a simple conflict, and yet it can escalate in any number of ways at an interpersonal level. So I think what you're sharing right now in this first example is the kind of thing that we think is valuable to the listeners is to understand where conflict might exist and also how it gets developed. And my reaction is, you did a nice job. Now, we're going to assume you were extremely successful. Ray, you want to Bob, I th- Yeah, I think you're, you're making uh, an exceptional point. And that is that very often conflict is most frequent and often hardest when neither person has the leverage. In a business setting, when you're talking about a structure where we're talking about reporting relationships and my boss and a subordinate, you've got leverage via the organizational structure. And often in that setting, based on the structure, based on the type of decision-making that's going on, one person may have a conflict and the other doesn't. I mean, someone, if I'm the boss, someone may be in conflict with me, but I'm not in conflict with them. And so when, but when you talk about peers or colleagues and there's no leverage, then I think conflict can develop fairly quickly because we don't have a deciding factor. We don't, we don't have a position that we can force on someone else. We do have to find a way to deal with it together because we can't pull a lever that says I'm in charge here or or it goes the way I say it goes. I think that's a very important consideration that one of the sources of conflict you need to look at frequently and consider as a source as happening most often is with peers, with colleagues, not with people who uh, report to you or whom you report. When you look back, Steve, would you say That makes sense to me. If I were to look at my conflicts, it's been more consistently at that level. Yeah. And I would say that there were three situations that would fall into that category where two of them were with co-owners and one of them was with a top manager. I told you about the co-owner of the original company, that conflict. After 20 years in that business, a friend of mine came by the shop just out of the blue. At least that's how I saw it and said, I'd like to buy your company. Are you interested in selling it? And his was much larger than mine. I would say 10 times larger. Hmm. And The offer was, I'll buy all of your equipment. You'll be the president of one of the divisions and, you know, we'll merge the companies. And I thought on the surface that that sounded like a good deal. And and to get off the subject and then I'll get back on it, it happened about a year or two before the automotive collapse where the economic situation in the country just went down the tubes. And I did not do a good job of customer diversification. In other words, 80% of my business was with auto companies. And I don't know if I could have survived the downturn in automotive had I not sold the company. But to get back on with the situation is what I never saw in my friendship with my new partner was that philosophically, he didn't see conflict resolution in a way that gave certain steps that one goes through. His biggest philosophy is if they don't perform, they're 
gone. You know, uh, unfortunately, a year after I went to the company, I developed cancer and I was out of commission, so to speak, for about a month or two. And during the time I was gone, he fired my former general manager, who was the best person I think I've ever hired in business. And Mm. I Still don't know the reason why he <laughs> fired him, but it wasn't like let's identify the issue, let's solve it by, you know, such and such a way. And so after three years, I could no longer work under the same roof with my partner. And so we parted ways and, you know, I left his company. And, you know, so those were two different situations with co-owners and uh i wouldn't mean to interrupt here steve but just to make an observation given the models we've been working with and ray would love to hear your comments on this too it strikes me just with your comment about the different philosophies that the two of you maintain regarding conflict that you tended to move towards and frankly we got to confess it's our preferred way of preferred choice at least dealing with conflict in a collaborative model let's see if we can work this out together where you're describing this person who bought you out or merged with you but held the dominant share as his preferred choice was competition if it doesn't work you're gone I'm not going to deal with this. We're just moving on and I'm going to win here. And so that became a repeated kind of source of conflict for the two of you. Would you see it that way, Ray? That's exactly what I was hearing. And Steve, that's an interesting, uh, you've not worded it this way, but I think that your approach to conflict is always, let's see if I can get a win-win for both of us. The outcome is great if both of us benefit. And what your partner's apparently philosophy was, is it's my way or the highway. Either you do it my way and you get the results I want, or you won't be here. And that would be what in our model is called competition. I hate to say this. We've got about four or five more minutes in this conversation before we need to begin to approach wrapping up. So maybe some thoughts or observations at this point. I know you've got lots more to share, Steve. This has been a particularly fun interview for us. But when you think about what you're hearing, what are some other observations you might have regarding looking back and your view of conflict back to that original approach we started with? Well, I don't think I mentioned to you that one of the reasons the automotive companies wanted to give us this first start was because in our model, 25% of our staff were ex-offenders, individuals Mm -hmm. that had served time and we were going to work with the parole boards and hire and train. And the philosophy was, you know, if you give someone a second chance they'll take advantage of it and they will start a new life. And in one side of that reflected my belief Mm. in a second chance. On another side of it, I had a lot of failures. People I thought had turned the corner and put the negative things behind them didn't always do that. But I believe that what I was saying about, you know, the termination of my general manager just was so different than what I personally believe in. And, you know, I don't know if you call that optimism that you really can solve problems and you really can help people grow. But, you know, that's kind of what comes to mind. Well, you know, one of the words that Ray and I have used for you 
repeatedly is the word resilient. And it strikes me that your willingness to hang in there with people. Now, you refer to it as giving a second chance. And when you said they take advantage of it, I was going the negative route to take advantage of you, but you were going the positive route. No, they use the opportunity to do good and to be successful. But when you comment in that, in the course of that, there are lots of failures. So my reaction is that contributes to my picture of you as being successful in this area because you build up a resilience. You say, I'm going to have to live with some of the failures in order to continue to offer the opportunity of working in a collaborative way. And I think that's one of the challenges for people who try to figure out how do I make this choice repeatedly collaboratively when the other person doesn't function in that same way. And yet I think one of the our benefits of having you on this podcast is to say, yeah, you're going to have some losses, but you have to decide in advance, how are you going to choose to operate going forward? So I like that. Yeah, and I do too. And, and I think that's a great story or factor in your, your background, Steve, to end on is the fact that you were willing to take risks in the right direction. You were willing to take risks that had big payoffs if they hit, and you could minimize the damage if they didn't. And I think that's so typical of your style is to give people the benefit of the doubt and take them in, uh, you know, kind of at their word and let them prove otherwise. I agree. And, you know, just to talk about it, even though it was many years ago when that all started, it does give you a good feeling that that's not only what business is about, that's what life is about. Well, hey, Swaz, that's what this podcast is about. Good feelings, man. And you created them. We really... (laughs) We really appreciate you joining us today and we've run out of time, but maybe we'll uh, have a chance to have you on again. That depends on if our numbers are up on this episode. If they're on, <laughs> we don't go with losers. I just That's that. it. Yep. You get our numbers up, Steve, you could be a permanent guest. The twins are done talking for today. Now it's your turn. We'd love to hear from you with feedback regarding today's theme or a situation you'd like us to step into during a future session. You can reach us at Twin Talk 46 at gmail.com. Remember, no communication problem is so big, so complicated, or so intense that we can't make it larger, more complex, or more dangerous than it already is, almost effortlessly. And we'd like to thank Kevin McLeod for the score that both began and ended this podcast.